So we've been talking about the weather quite a bit today. Uh, it's been hot in Alberta, but nothing, um, you know, crazy hot. Nothing out of the ordinary, at least not yet for this summer. You remember what happened last summer. Uh, that was crazy hot, and we saw the heat dome, and it caused all kinds of problems right across Western Canada. We know what's going on in Europe right now. Uh, in uh, the UK, they recorded their hottest ever temperature, over 40 degrees at Heathrow Airport for the first time in uh, recorded history. Same thing happening in France and in Spain and in Portugal and all across those areas. Um, interesting conversation we're going to have here about how, you know, we, in a lot of ways, as humans, we've probably gone and made this worse for ourselves than it had to be. But here's a question. Sarah, you, you, you lived in a small town and now you live in Edmonton. Is Are summers hotter in Edmonton than they were in Two Hills? I think so, yeah. It definitely feels warmer here. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, our next guest has done a tremendous amount of work around this and says, yeah, uh, we've turned our cities into little heat islands that uh, are much hotter than anywhere else. Uh, so we're going to chat now with Dr. Ian Stewart who's a research fellow at the University of Toronto's Global Cities Institute and an international expert on the heat island effect. Dr. Stewart, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Yeah, you've done a lot of work around how, as I say, humans have kind of gone and taken a bad situation and made it worse for ourselves with the way that we build our cities. Um, How do cities turn up the heat? Walk us through your work. Well, um, it's almost inevitable when we construct a city that we're going to change the the local climate of that uh, space where we, we where we built the city, and that's because essentially we're we're removing the the natural landscape that existed prior to the city, and we're replacing it with artificial materials: concrete, steel, glass, pavement, tile, brick, and so on. And all of these materials have a very different thermal behavior than natural soils and vegetation and and water bodies and so on. And in fact, they store more heat. Uh, through the day, through the receipt of solar radiation, and they retain that heat and release it very slowly through the night. And so that creates evenings and night times in cities, which are considerably warmer than the surrounding countryside, which is typically agricultural land or natural land. The other contributing factor is that the placement of buildings side by side in the city, whether they're, they're residential towers or office towers or in institutional buildings, they tend to trap the radiation in, in the canyon spaces or the street spaces between the buildings because they're quite narrow. And so there's a lot of reflection and reabsorption of radiation in those uh, geometric spaces of cities. So it's a combination of the thermal properties and the geometry of the city that creates a, a heat island effect. How, how big of a difference does that effect have? Is there any way of quantifying it? Is it one degree? Is it two degrees? Is it 10 degrees? Do we know? Well, it depends on on what scale we take the measurements. But if if we if we compare the city temperature to a temperature just outside the city, and we take an average difference across uh, many months or many seasons or years, it it could be anywhere from one or two or three degrees. However, if we do a comparison on on a, a single night when it's clear and calm, we can find differences of of eight or ten or twelve degrees uh, between the city and the countryside. So it's quite significant. Wow. Now, we're seeing what's happening in Europe, reports of hundreds and hundreds of deaths, and we know they don't have air conditioning in very dense cities and things like that going back hundreds of years. Um, is, there a, is there a way of trying to... Building cities is one thing, but can you retrofit? Can you, can you go back and sort of make changes, or are we too far down the road in some cases? Well, you can. Of course, that's, that's uh, less desirable than making changes before sure. a community community or neighborhood is built. We always say consider climate at the earliest opportunity when you're constructing a a community. Uh, However, there are changes that can be made. Many of them are are largely cosmetic, 
meaning we can change the, 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 some of the surface materials. We can change the, the reflective, reflectivity of the materials by painting buildings white or light colors or using uh, green roofs and green facades. We can, we can insert small parks and urban gardens and things across the landscape just to break up the, the homogeneity of the concrete and, and the impermeable surfaces. Um, these will have a cumulative effect if they're integrated across the city at, at large scales. Uh, because each one creates its own little microclimate, and, and the city is um, an accumulation of mm -hmm. microclimates that creates the urban heat. So yes, we can do things, uh, but it takes a, an integrated effort across the whole city. And like you say, it's, it's preferable to, to do it ahead of time. What should we be thinking about as we're building you know, cities or adding to the cities that exist? What kind of you know, uh, practices should we be employing to make this less of an issue? Well, I, I often say that the first thing we need to do is, is to think about the, the geographic setting of the city. Many cities are located on coastlines next to large water bodies such as lakes and oceans. Other cities are in river valleys like Edmonton or on slopes or on, on, on mountain uh, ridges and so on. All of these settings provide a natural ventilation for the city. They're sources of clean and fresh air that are often coming down slopes or coming off, off the water. So it's important to design the city in a way that allows that fresh air to come come from outside the city and, and into the city itself. So we can do that through orientation of streets, orientation of buildings and planting structures and so on to open up wind corridors and, and uh, airflow pathways into the city. Uh, we can also think more carefully about the placement of, of tall buildings um, side by side and whether or not they're allowing for um, access to the sky, access to airflow, right. access to clean air and cool air and so on. So those are things, as you say, that need to be done before the city is constructed. Uh, a good question from one of our guests saying, you know, we keep hearing about we need to uh, get denser. We need our cities to uh, become, we need to combat urban sprawl. We need to get a density thing going and, you know, infill and all the rest of that stuff. That seems counterintuitive to what you're talking about. Is there a way to do that? to make our cities more dense, less sprawly, uh, but at the same time be aware of what that's going to do in terms of the heat island effect. Yeah, th this is an excellent point, and it's it's all about balance in that, sense, in that sense. So if we create very compact cities, that inevitably means the removal uh, of trees and, yeah, and yeah. green spaces, right? However, sprawling cities contribute to, to more greenhouse gas emissions from transportation and building energy use and so on. So th the answer is finding a balance between a compact and a sprawling city. Uh, that can easily be done, and it can also be done through mixed land uses. Um, so it's, you know, I, I envision a, a city of, of a mix of mid-rise and low-rise and high-rise buildings, but with an abundance of, of green space between them but also allowing for some some compact urban forms. And, and I think somewhere in the middle ground lies the, the, the best solution. Is this, is this a consideration when people are doing city planning and are doing zoning and those sorts of things? Is, you know, how it's going to affect the heat island and, you know, I mean, just the whole city climate, is that a consideration that's being taken by municipalities in Canada? Well, historically, no. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. But there's an obvious reason for that. We live in a, in a generally cold climate in Canada. Our winters are long and miserable. And so we don't often think about the heat island. Uh, that's changing, however, with, with global warming. And I, there are some excellent initiatives that are being taken now by municipalities across Canada to combat heat island effects. And that's largely through the introduction of expanded tree canopies and more green spaces and, and so on. So, yes, uh, things are shifting. 
and I think the city governments are, are taking some good actions in many places. Yeah, uh, and, uh, and hopefully it continues. Really interesting conversation, Dr. Stewart. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's been a very it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. That is Dr. Ian Stewart, who is a research fellow at the University of Toronto's Global Cities Institute and an international expert on what's called the heat island effect.